Welcome to episode 85 of the Bulak podcast. I'm Ursula Lindsay in Amman, Jordan, and with me as always is my co-host, Marsha Linksquely in Rabat, Morocco. Hi, Marsha. Hi, Ursula. And today we're going to be talking about the novel Paradise by the Nobel Prize winner Abdurazak Gurna, who just won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, F, and uh, this novel, I think, is considered sort of one of the most exemplary ones uh, of, of, of his writing, of the preoccupations uh, and the style of his writing. Um, he was not a writer that I think uh, I was aware of particularly, and I think he's been a discovery to a lot of people. Um, he is uh, from Tanzania and uh, and writes about the east coast of Africa, about what once was the Sultanate of Zanzibar, um, about a region that is uh, a mixture of cultures, uh, a mixture of histories, um, and obviously that has a colonial uh, encounter that, that is very complicated and multi-layered. Um, so, so we'll be talking about this novel, which I think is really exceptional, which I, I personally have enjoyed reading very, very much, and that complements, I think, or speaks to some of the other books that we've talked about over the years in, in really interesting ways. Yeah, particularly the one that we discussed in our most recent episode, Jochel um, Hardi's Narinja, which also uh, there are, of course, Omanis in in this novel, in Paradise, Abdurazak Gurna's novel, um, who have become part of <clears throat> of the landscape in in Tanzania and in in Zanzibar, and, and just as in in Jokhel Hardi's novel, most of the Omanis who we saw and their relationship in, in Narinja, at least, were sort of returnees to Oman or who were refused access to the ability to return to Oman. So, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, the, the two novels are, are very interesting in, in contrast. Yeah, it was an interesting coincidence that we just mm. just talked about this this novel set in Oman, and uh, um, Oman was a great maritime empire, and at one point expanded to Zanzibar, the island of Zanzibar, and to territories in in East Africa, and and Zanzibar was so key to its empire that they moved the capital there um and there and there was this sultanate um based there um i mean obviously i think we've both read up about this a bit the details of the sort of colonial history of the region uh and the, and the different influences and the different rulers there is is quite complicated and i i, I hope i don't get a detail wrong but uh, the slave trade was also a big part of this empire. Um, and right. Particularly, the... it seems like in the, in the 1800s from when uh, Sultan Said bin Sultan moved his capital to, to, to Zanzibar city in 1840, there were apparently um, some 700,000 people enslaved in that Swahili coast area um, in that time, which is the sort of the decades before this novel 
is set. Right. And um, because the novel is a coming of age story that is set, I think, before World War One. World War One, yes. So, right. So it's sort of in the wake of this mass sort of enslavement and de- depopulation of of the area. Um, the the Omanis have been kind of are in the process of being pushed out. It's it's um, been taken over sort of de facto. Although you know Germans don't appear to really be on the ground. You occasionally see the the Germans. Um, it's now German East Africa, I think they're, they're calling it. It's German occupied, um, territory. And then in 1919, it, you know, the, the British come. So it, it's like in this period of, of transition, but also I, you know, you can certainly see everywhere the, um, the effects throughout the novel, the effects of this, this ramp, you know, this huge, massive depopulation, um, enslavement of people, uh, the, you know, th- throughout their their journeys. And along the coast, you can you can sort of see the um, the effects of this of this century old mercantile trade culture. So the 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 communities. Dis- there's people who identify as coast people. Right. right in the book right. and and they i don't know i mean again i don't want to get things wrong but the, the communities in these cities are like you said there's there's an arab elite that comes from oman and that are sort of the traditional rulers of the area uh, but then there's there's greeks there's indians there's people from other african countries um when i was reading up apparently the word Swahili, which is the language spoken in this region, actually means people of the coast uh, from Arabic, mm. from the word for coast. Um, so so there's this kind of cosmopolitanism to the to the trading cities. And then but then obviously, and it's a theme in the book, like the human bondage and enslavement is a kind of underlying, undergirding question and factor uh, in the story. And then, like you said, sort of modern Western colonialism is like on the horizon. Like it's coming, it's sort of starting to be there. It's actually not yet a huge presence, but it's sort of like, it's sort of like this, it's, it is like the sun rising on the horizon. Like everybody can see that the, the, yeah, this is what it's this a, is the future sort of a in some way rising on right 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 it's like it, it, it's uh, i mean it, to, later we'll talk about you know what the role that the quranic story yusuf uh plays in this novel and, and that's what i'm you know sort of n- nervous about getting wrong but um but it does <laughs> seem like that is the that is the the prophetic sort of nightmare the that use not just yusuf but everybody is having that the Europeans are coming. Um, well, and yes, so I think this, it's more complicated than just something that the Europeans are bad and they're coming. Like, in fact, what I think is really interesting about this book is that it's a book that is not just a vision of like the the sort of main bad thing that happened is colonialism. I mean, obviously, colonialism is a historical crime of sort of like almost impossible to determine proportions. 
that's not the question, but the universe that this book builds is not just a condemnation of modern colonialism. It's no, much no, more I think sort that the central, complicated than sure. that. The, the central one is the freedom and enslavement, um, which, you know, is a relationship between many different and, you know, sort of savage and civilized um, which we but, should but, say that Gurna himself belonged to that Arab elite. Right, um, right. So his family is originally from Yemen, but he grew up there speaking Swahili. Like he, so, so I think it's also interesting. And then he emigrated to the UK after there was a revolution in, in Zanzibar that overthrew the Arab rulers and was a quite violent retribution also, I think, against... Because there had been such a sort of racialized regime, there right. there was violence when that regime was overthrown and, and he fled the country at that time. Right. Yes. And even though, so I had said that it was 1840 when um, the Omani Sultan Said bin Sultan moved his capital to Zanzibar City. This, So the, the earliest extant account, at least that I know about, of this area... Um, of the, the coastal city of Kilwa, which figures largely in the book, is from Ibn Battuta in, in 1332, where he spent a couple weeks there. And uh, and there was already, uh, you know, there was a 10th century mosque that Ibn Battuta prayed in. He was very impressed with the sultan of, of, of Kilwa. And, uh, and, but he also refers to uh, the expeditions that the sultan sends into the interior, raiding and and bringing back slaves and wealth from the interior. Right. So, so this is sort of a long, even if the sort of the, the you know the sort of engine of human enslavement sort of it, it seems to have exploded in the in the nineteenth century. This is a, like a a long standing uh, power relationship. Yeah. So we should say a little bit about the story, the the individual human story that the that the book focuses on. So it's it's a story about a young boy whose name is Yusuf and it more or less begins with him being handed over by his parents to someone he has thought of up to then as Uncle Aziz and who is who comes and visits uh you know, a couple times a year and is treated as an honored guest. And, uh, you know, it seems like a benevolent and, and highly respected figure. And uh, he is sent off with Uncle Aziz to go work for him. That That's all he knows at the beginning. Right. Sent um, off on a train, which I think, you know, the role of the trains is uh, um, important in the, in the book. Yes. But sent off not just to go work for him, but sort of to pawn off his father's debt. So his father has gotten deeply in debt to Uncle Aziz, which uh, he ain't your uncle. But um, as it seems, many people have gotten in debt to Aziz, and um, and so he goes to the to work um, in the city on in the coast to uh, in a shop with Khalil in order to work that off. And this brings us to a character I think we both loved. It's possibly my favorite character in the book. So mm. he goes to work in his shop and there is an older, a young man or an older boy there called Khalil who becomes his 
his teacher, his mentor, his manager, you know, his everything kind of like shows him all the ropes, how to do and not do things, how to talk to the customers, uh, you know, disciplines him, uh, explains things to him or, or doesn't, uh, you know, or refuses <laughs> to explain things to him. And, and, and it's just, I mean, I found this incredibly touching and well Realize. It's a beautiful portrait. Yes, it's a beautiful portrait of a person. And he's so um, limbed in and cowardly. And in some ways, Yusuf really expands his world because he, his whole world before Yusuf arrives seems to have been the shop and, and, and the people who come into the shop. But uh, Yusuf at least kind of presses him to go into town once a week um, on Fridays for prayers. Uh, and, and Khalil is also like like Yusuf, he was um, pawned or he was, he is the security, he was his family's security. He, his family got into debt with Aziz and um, it couldn't pay it off. And so Khalil was given in exchange until he paid it off. And then, but in the meantime, um, Khalil's family went back to just what he calls Arabia. And then he is left, he's left behind there. Um, so let me read a passage from about, uh, I mean, there's several that sort of just make their, their relationship come to life. At one point, also, Yusuf becomes curious about the, the master's wife, the mistress who is sort of hidden away in the house and never seen. Um, and in, in this drip, drip of revelations that he's getting, Khalil tells him that, you know, she's, she's crazy. She suffers from an affliction. Um, and so this is the younger boy, Yusuf, you know, responding to this story about the, the mistress who's been struck with some mysterious ailment and says, um, the crazy old woman in the house did not surprise him at all. It was exactly as it would have been in the stories his mother used to tell him. In those stories, the craziness would have been because of love gone wrong or bewitchment in order to steal an inheritance or unfulfilled revenge. Nothing could be done about the craziness until matters had been put right, until the curse had been lifted. He wanted to say that to Khalil. Don't worry about it so much. It will all be put right before the story ends. He had already resolved that if he ever ran into the crazy mistress, he would look away and say a prayer. <laughs> he did not want to think about his mother or the way she used to tell him stories. Khalil's sadness made him miserable, and he said the first thing which came into his head, just to get him to talk again. Did your mother used to tell you stories, he asked. My mother, Khalil said, taken by surprise. After a short while, when Khalil still had not said any more, Yusuf asked, Did she? Don't talk to me about her. She's gone, like everybody else. Everybody's gone, Khalil said. Then he spoke rapidly in Arabic and looked as if he would hit Yusuf. Gone, you stupid boy, you Kifa Orongo. Everybody's gone to Arabia. They left me here. My brothers, my mother, everybody. Yusuf's eyes watered. He felt homesick and abandoned, but struggled to keep himself from crying. After a moment, Khalil sighed and then reached out and clouded Yusuf on the back of the head. Except for my little brother, he said, and then laughed as Yusuf burst into a self-pitying wail. 
<laughs> I mean, he does the little details that the of the way people react to each other so so well. Um, you really see these two boys and this, you know, right. their and how their how relationship they... changes and how the positions sort of reverse because, of course, Khalil in the beginning is. Old, you know, an older teen, uh, or even a young adult, uh, and, and he's he knows everything about the world that that Yusuf doesn't. But he's still such he's such a baby, he, even when he's grown up. Right. Well, I mean, I think the book does very, very well a kind of classic narrative technique, which is that the that the point of view that you get from the beginning is naive and unknowing. Like mm-hmm. the boy does not even realize that he is, a, that he's been sold as a repayment of debt in the, in the beginning. Like all of these things come bit by bit. And Khalil, who seems so knowledgeable and so cynical and like he knows everything by the end of the book, you know, you also realize how trapped and lost he is. Um, but, but that sort of blinkered, point of view and which can be so moving of like someone who is still almost a child is I think done done very very well uh throughout throughout the story right and this is the condition of so many people in this novel who are in this sort of in-between space so uh you know human slavery is made illegal in in uh, in the country in I think, you know, 1890 or in the 1890s. But in this period, it's, um, it, it even says that, so the gardener is of, of the house where, where Uncle Aziz and his wife live, was a slave, and but they didn't, be, even though in slavery was, was now illegal, they, they had no obligation to release him um, uh, from, from bondage. So there's, it's this sort of in-between space for so many people, uh, Yusuf and Khalil are not exactly enslaved to Aziz. There's no suggestion that they can't get off and leave, just go off and leave, but what would they do? You you know, so there's a lot of people in this kind of in-between space or a, a not free space. Like Khalil, yeah. who, who I th- yes, is um, somehow the most sympathetic character in the novel. Although yeah. it's it's interesting that now that you reread this, well, he is not not his whole family didn't leave him. He does have his sister. I guess I hadn't realized that he'd said everyone had gone to Arabia. Um, he'd lied to us. <laughs> Well, it's a book that on again because there's this there's you don't have full information in the beginning. It's a book that that it, you you can reread with a lot of interest because everything because you yourself have can then reread it and sort of like see more than you did the first time. Um, but so and and then so 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 Yusuf is apprenticed, you know, to he works in the shop and then eventually he he he's taken along on these trips to the interior in which um uh Uncle Aziz the master goes and trades with uh with the quote unquote savages, right? Who who, right. who live in the interior. Um and um and first he's taken sort of not the full way all the way in on this trip. He's taken and left with another trader. Uh, and, you know, Parents, his education yeah. continues there. Um, he's meeting the truck drivers now. He's meeting the 
the sort of fixers of these trips. He's meeting all these kind of wild characters and 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 rough men and storytellers and and you know learning more and more kind of about the world from all of them. Right. And I would just mention here that one of the things that didn't occur to me at the time, but that Yusuf is they're constantly saying how beautiful he is. And when they first take him on this trip away, it is because he has caught the mistress's attention. And so Aziz is taking him away from, from you know, let's say the, the castle, the villa, where Zuleikha, his wife, lives. Although we don't know her name at this point, she's just the crazy mistress. So they go to this mountain town and he's left there. He is not taken on the, on the trading trip the first year. He's left uh, with Hamid and his family. And um, I, I really, um, there's a passage that I really enjoyed when Hamid is, uh, is also, um, he's, he's Arab and he's a, he's a trader, but he's not, he's, he's not a, he's not a trader in the same way as Aziz. He's, um, He's actually, you know, hiding some of Aziz's smuggled goods, but um, he, you know, he's a very small time trader with his wife and his kids, but he definitely sees himself as a part, as part of, of the Ummah, part of uh, the larger Muslim community, uh, uh, the Arab community, and not uh, the, you know, what people are con- in the book are constantly referring to as, as savages. And in this passage, uh, Hamid has just realized that Yusuf doesn't know how to read. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't have this thing that separates him from from the other people in the country. Maimuna, Hamid yelled for his wife, as if he were in pain. Yusuf had begun to think that Hamid was too was feeling the fast, and he would presently sit down and talk quietly about lessons and duty. But he yelled out suddenly, giving way to hysteria. Maimuna, come here. Come quick. Yalla. Maimuna was still wrapping a cloth round herself as she came out, her eyes registering the anxiety of Hamid's call despite being bleary with sleep. Kimwana, the boy doesn't know how to read the Quran, Hamid said, turning to her with a distraught look. He has no father and no mother and does not even know the word of God. They interrogated him thoroughly as if they'd been waiting to do so for a long time. He did not try to hide anything. What had the mistress said about it? What did she look like? He did not know what she looked like. He'd never seen her. Was she not said to be devout? He'd never heard that one. Didn't the merchant make them go to the mosque? No, the merchant had nothing to do with him, left him alone to work in the shop. Had he not thought that without prayers he would go naked to his maker? No, he had not thought about that, or thought about his maker very much. And without God's word... How could he say his prayers? Well, he did not say his prayers, except on Friday when they went to the town. What a dirty business. As their cries of pain rose, their children also came out to witness the scene. The oldest, Asha, who was nearly 12 years old, pump and cheerful like her father, the boy, Ali, who had his mother's curls and her glossy complexion, and the little one, Soda, who cried so much and did not like to be separated from his sister. They all came to join the tragic chorus lamenting his shame. Maimuna raised one hand to her temple as if looking to still the pounding there. Hamid shook his head with pity. Poor boy, poor boy, what tragedy you've brought to our house, he said. Who could have guessed such things? 
Don't blame yourself, Maimona said, moaning softly between her words. How could we have known? Don't feel bad, Hamid said to Yusuf, when the crescendo of their horror had crested its peak. It's not your fault. God would see us as the guilty ones, because we had not made sure that you were taught. You've been with us for months. But how could your uncle have left at you in that state for all these years, Maimona asked, looking to share the blame. For a start, he ain't my uncle, Yusuf thought to himself, remembering Khalil and struggling to suppress a smile. He wished he could walk away, leave them to their lamentations, but a feeling of inadequacy kept him where he was. He felt disgusted by their display of shock and horror. It seemed to him a calculated and ridiculous performance. Do you know that we who are from the coast call ourselves Wangwana? Hamid asked. Do you know what that means? It means people of honor. That's what we call ourselves, especially up here among fiends and savages. Why do we call ourselves that? It is God who gives us this right. We are an honorable because we submit ourselves to the creator and understand and adhere to our obligations to him. If you cannot read his word or follow his law, you are no better than these worshippers of rocks and trees, little better than a beast. Yes, Yusuf said, shrinking as he heard the children laugh. Are you 15 yet? Hamid asked, softening his voice. 16, last Rajab, before we went to the mountain, Yusuf said. Then there is no time to lose. To the Almighty, you are now a fully grown man and subject to his laws in full, Hamid said, growing into his redeeming role. He shut his eyes and said a long, muttered prayer. Children, look at him. Learn from the sight he presents to us, he said in the end, flinging out an arm to point at Yusuf. Shun the weed, I beg you. Learn from my terrible example. Let him go to the Quran school with the children, Maimuna said sharply, giving Hamid a very direct look. You don't have to go on at him as if he's killed someone. I, I, so, there's I, so much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just really enjoyed so much of how he captures um, human sort of performativity, even in the earliest pages, you know, the as a little boy with his mother, uh, Yusuf is sort of performing sadness. In the way that but, we do as yeah. kids. So, go ahead. No, but but Yusuf is a very steady. I mean, he has this heroic quality, right, of being an innocent. And yet, mm. in that scene, you know, he, they don't succeed in making him feel particularly guilty or unsure of himself. He's a very sort of steady. Uh, I mean, he experiences sadness. He experiences a few negative emotions, but he does have this kind of. Yeah, this, I think, sort of heroic quality of being innocent and brave and, and sort of somehow confident and um, and beautiful, as you point out. Yes. That's, that's sort of mentioned again and again how attractive he is um, and, uh, and sort of unformed because, of course, it is a story about someone who has not become someone yet. And, and, and we should say that we're, we're not going to discuss the plot to its end because this is a book that has like a real kicker of a final section um there's there's these mysteries throughout that you're kind of waiting to have explained to you and they are revealed at the end and i think it's it's really will be more of a pleasure for people to discover them themselves um i actually read this book in a reading group with other people and some of the other people thought that the book was a little slow uh, oh goodness which, which was not my impression but i think it's because the people that that did not make it to the end and there is this kind of like big 
revelation, sort of, sort of series of revelations and sort of it all kind of falls into place at the end. Um, so we're, we're not going to, to say that because I think it's, it's, it's revealing too much. Um, I don't think, I didn't think it was, so I think it's a very eventful book, but I do think there's something kind of peaceful about the tone in which it's told. There's, there's mm. a sort of contrast between, there's a lot actually happening. There's a lot of dramatic events, but the narrator's style of telling it is pretty, is sort of understated, right? And sure. Yes. He does have a certain sort of stoicism to, to how he relays things. Yes. I mean, right. I'm not a Puranic scholar uh, in, in the absolute slightest. You, su- you, but, you surprise but, me. <laughs> but, but, uh, but he does, you know, in his personality, it, it does feel like Yusuf of, of the Quran in, in this sort of light radiating from him and the beauty radiating from him and his sort of kindness and generosity. So can you remind me the story of Yusuf in the Quran? What, what, sure. Um... So in, it, it begins something like Joseph. And now please forgive me for any infelicities, but it begins like Joseph in the Bible. Um, there are brothers. Uh, they're jealous. He, he, he's destined for greatness. They they throw him in a well. He ends up sold off into slavery. Of course, in this book, his father is the one who falls into debt and pawns him into slavery. And he doesn't have brothers. But but he uh, but the what, where it intersects is there is a there is his who he sold into slavery to who, who buys him in, in the Quran is Aziz, and he's married to Zuleika much like in 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 the book he's married mm. to a woman named Zuleika. Uh in the book she's she's an older widow and she's who made him wealthy but but basically where it really suddenly came clear to me is it, it should have been clear to me all along when the, the novel is sort of telling me over and over again seductively Oh, Yusuf, he's so beautiful, which in the Quran, uh, Yusuf is, is a, exceptionally handsome, which is why Zulekha, Aziz's wife, falls for him and insists on seducing him. Uh, but unlike in the Bible, um, where I believe um, uh, the king belie- believes his wife um, in the Quran, Yusuf is is sort of steadfast and he says his shirt was torn from behind much exactly like in the novel when, when Zuleika um, attempts to, uh, you know, sort of sexually harass Yusuf. She tears his shirt from behind because he's running away. And when Aziz hears this uncle Aziz in the novel, he realizes that Yusuf is telling the truth. Um, that he was, that his shirt was, he kind of, he, he smirks, oh, your shirt was torn from behind. Then yes, it's not your fault. Um, as if he himself is remembering the story from the Quran, because he has mentioned before the Yusuf in the Quran. Um, hmm. So it, it, he, Yusuf also, this is what makes me think of, so Yusuf has these prophetic um, dreams which are what gets him out 
of of prison in and which get him out of enslavement and raise him up to this high position in the end, um, which is not something the book follows. But the use of the of the book also has these intense dreams or really mostly nightmares, night terrors that he sort of you know leave him waking up and screaming and as they're on their journey in the interior um everyone seems to know that yusuf is having terrible terrible dreams but they 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 he seems to be afraid that they'll mark him out as as weak but they also seem to somehow mark him out as special that he's having these dreams i think he's very much marked out as special in the story Mm-hmm. I I I appreciate a story that is full of potential danger, but in which like nothing bad happens to this young man. I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, okay, he is separated from his family, so perhaps that's not a fair thing to say. But but he, you know, in a way, he there's this kind of blessed quality to him where he seems to he moves through the world. I mean, he grants him. A safe childhood. Now, and you, and the and the book ends as he makes like probably the first adult decision of his life. So you don't know what's going to happen to him after that. Um, and and clearly he's going into a world full of full of risk. But there's this almost magical protection over him in the part of the story that we read, right? Right, right. Um, because he he goes as he they travel to trade in these different towns in the interior. Uh, everybody else is being, yeah, falling prey to disease or being shot and killed or um, being beaten. Um, the, um, what I, I don't remember, is it Muhammad Abdullah, who, who is um, one of sort of the foremen of, of the group, is well known for, I guess, you know, um, attacking, raping, sexually assaulting the young men of of the group, and Yusuf is extremely attractive, but nothing ever happens to him when they're all they they're all sort of um, held hostage in one of the towns because they're all of their goods are taken, and they refuse to leave without all of their goods. Mm. Yusuf, on the other hand, is is given this sort of pride of place. He is kept uh, in the main house, and there's a young woman, Bati, who is in love with him and he's in love with her. <laughs> yeah, he has, he has this sort of charmed life in the middle of everything. Yeah. And I was going to say, so two of the things that struck me overall about the world that's created in this story. So is when they go to the interior and they meet the the tribes that they have been trading with and you see the degree of anger and resentment mm-hmm. and suspicion from the tribes who have been facing these sort of depredations, mm. uh, including enslavement, presumably from these traders for a long time. And there is this very dramatic sort of like confrontation between them and a chieftain who tries to like out with them, who captures them uh, and, 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 and tries to like refuse the traditional terms on which these exchanges have been taking place, which are hugely disadvantageous to his community. Um, right. And he even, he basically, he says your cousin or brother or something, uh, right. previously stole from us and enslaved us and took, took what was not his. And so we're taking your goods in exchange for that. Now you can go. Right. Uh, that's and, in, in Shatu, yeah. 
and why should we trust you? And, you know, this has happened to us again and again. Um, uh, And at the same time, you hear that the Western colonialists are coming to the area and telling the tribes, the African tribes, we're here to protect you from slavery. We're here to end slavery. And, you know, we sort of know how disingenuous this this discourse is um and 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 you also have descriptions on the part of the of the traders where they talk a couple times about sort of what this western colonialism is going to look like and i just want to read one mm-hmm. um so this is from the point of view of the coastal traders right so they're seeing their territory infringe upon they're not even the ones suffering who have suffered historically the most or will but Everywhere they went now, they found the Europeans had got there before them and had installed soldiers and officials, telling the people that they had come to save them from their enemies who only sought to make slaves of them. It was as if no other trade had been heard of to hear them speak. The traders spoke of the Europeans with amazement, awed by their ferocity and ruthlessness. They take the best land without paying a bead, force the people to work for them by one trick or another, eat anything and everything, however tough or putrid. Their appetite has no limit or decency, like a plague of locusts. Taxes for this, taxes for that, otherwise prison for the offender, or the lash, or even hanging. The first thing they build is a lockup, then a church, then a market shed, so they can keep the trade under their eyes and then tax it. And that is even before they build a house for themselves to live in. Has anyone ever heard of such things? So, I mean, again, it's not exa- it's not the focus of the book, but it's a very strong element in the world of the book. This impinging arrival of the right. of the Westerners and this insane way of living and dealing that they have. Right. They eat metal. They, uh, you know, they, (laughs) right. They don't care about their own personal comfort. It's all about the prison, the church, the market. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because yes, Europeans are very scarce presence in the novel, but when they do appear, it is with this tremendous sense of foreboding. There are two right in the first scene um, when Yusuf is still with his family, he sees two Europeans, a man and a woman at the train station. And the, dis- the physical description of them, of just down to the, um, the skin flaking off their lips, the odd way in which they're built, the lumpy, you know, because presumably of the way that she's dressed, the bizarre and lumpy way that the, that the woman looks as if she might change her shape. And the man is like a block of wood. Um, the, it's just the, I mean, I guess I, I, I'm surprised to hear anyone would describe it as slow just because I felt so much tension built into sort of every moment in, in the book. Mm. No, I, I mean, I think it's deceptive, but I think it has the quality again of like a child's point of view where like you kind of accept everything about the world. I mean, mm-hmm. you're just experiencing the world. You're not yet analyzing it very much. I mean, he wants to know, he wants to know things. He's interested in stories. He's interested in people. Um, he wants to discover, but, but he captures very well, I think like a young consciousness, right? 
right uh, that 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 is like ex- experiencing the world and it's like well this happened and then that happened and he doesn't really have a lot of context to say how dramatic it was and he doesn't seem particularly shocked by it because it's just his life as it right. as it unfolds right. Right. um yeah yes, I, I, and I, as he's coming of age he's also i would say you know one of those characters who's exceptionally intelligent so yes he he's when he 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 starts reading the Quran late. He starts reading late, but once he does, he really picks it up. And then he also, um, moreover, uh, there's an Indian man who also lives in that in the same town, mountain town where Hamid is, where he's initially left, and he manages to to get himself sort of English lessons as well and start reading in English as well as in Arabic. So um, I think he's marked out, yeah. In, in all sorts of ways. He doesn't feel, it's funny because Yusuf maybe feels like uh, the least real person uh, of, there are so many things in the book that are larger than life that are mm. um, out, that feel allegorical. Um, but then you, he's surrounded by characters like Khalil um, who do feel so intensely real. Yeah, he really, I mean, um, Gurna has a gift, I think, for for making people come to life, uh, you know, for, 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 for describing a gesture or an intonation or reaction, for getting a kind of like emotional truth to a character very, um, very succinctly. Um, I wanted to read a little bit because I thought it was very good. His, his Nobel acceptance speech Mm, talks a bit about, um, what, what he's, what he's doing. So I'll try and summarize, I'll I'll skip around a little bit. Um, so, um, so he talks about how he started writing, uh, once he was living in the UK. Um, and he says, um, and I think he, what he describes as poverty and alienation. Um, in, in the first instance, I reflected on what I had left behind in the reckless flight from my home. A profound chaos descended on our lives in the mid-1960s, whose rights and wrongs were obscured by the brutalities that accompanied the changes brought about by the revolution of 1964. Detentions, executions, expulsions, and endless small and large indignities and oppressions. It was only in the early years that I lived in England that I was able to reflect on such issues, to dwell on the ugliness of what we were capable of inflicting on each other, to revisit the lies and delusions with which we had comforted ourselves. Um, And then he says, not only was he thinking about the historical events, but I was troubled by other memories that were unrelated to these events, cruelties parents inflicted on their children, the way people were denied full expression because of social or gender dogma, the inequalities that tolerated poverty and dependence. These are matters present in all human life and are not exceptional to us, but they are not always on your mind until circumstances require you to be aware of them. And then he says... In time, it became clear that something deeply unsettling was taking place. A new, simpler history was being constructed, transforming and even obliterating what had happened, restructuring it to suit the verities of the moment. It it became necessary then to refuse such a history. 
one that disregarded the material objects that testified to an earlier time, the buildings, the achievements, and the tendernesses that had made life possible. It became necessary to make an effort to preserve that memory, to write about what was there, to retrieve the moments in the stories people lived by and through which they understood themselves. Um, and I just want to write one more portion because I think it gets to... Uh, he says um, He says that then living in the UK, he came up against the version of history there, which he describes as the self-assured summaries of people who despised and belittled us. And then he concludes by saying, but writing cannot be just about battling and polemics. Writing is not about one thing, not about this issue or that, or this concern or another. And since its concerns is human life in one way or another, sooner or later cruelty and love and weakness become its subject. I believe that writing also has to show what can be otherwise, what it is that the hard, domineering eye cannot see, what makes people, apparently small in stature, feel assured in themselves, regardless of the disdain of others. So I found it necessary to write about that as well. And I just love that description. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole, it's a, it's a beautiful reflection from beginning to end about what he's trying to do and how he sort of developed it. But I love that description of, you know, as you give the picture, as you try to tell the story, that you're going to also tell the story of these people who seem little but aren't little to themselves or in and of themselves in any way. And I think there are characters like that in this book. Right. What I loved so much about the book is that it, how close to the ground I always was. Uh, every moment I felt like I was there in this moment walking on the ground with Yusuf and with the caravan and wherever we were going. I never felt like this sort of eagle-eye view of here's what's happening. And um, I, I did feel like this intense foreshadowing of what might happen. Also, I felt, you know, the past also felt heavy. You know, Aziz tells a long story about, about the history of, particularly of the Omani community in Tanzania to, to Yusuf. But, uh, but I always felt locked to to the to the moment that I was there on the ground seeing the people around me yes people like Hamid who uh, a, a failed merchant a, a small tiny small time shopkeeper but yeah his his life is important to him and he's and he's and he's vivid they're all vivid and people are surprising I mean I really enjoy a book that can surprise me because I think when you read mm -hmm. as much as we do, we kind of develop mm -hmm. an instinct to predict narratives and a lot of narratives are predictable and there's only so many stories you can tell. And this book from beginning to end really surprised me, like, and, and yet surprised you and it kind of rings with truth, right? Like it's that combination of, I didn't see this coming. And at the same time, I'm utterly like, I can see it now, now that you've shown me it's there in front of my eyes. Um, which I think is, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a it's a great it's a great book, um, uh, and uh, he 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 deserves obviously the recognition that he got from from the Nobel Committee, and um, it's a it's a classic like it's a real it's a work of right. real depth, right? And it, also, it, I would add that there are so many moments of of humor in it. 
uh, not the many of them are understated humor, but some of them are just you know tossing insult, insults back and forth and um, and yeah. and joking around. And there's, there's some crazy moments, like there's a the Indian character who teaches him, um, whose name is escaping me at the moment, who teaches Yusuf um, to read in English. He he is insistent that one of his projects is going to be to translate the Quran into Swahili, despite the fact right. that he is not confident. He, he doesn't know Arabic because so he'll have to translate it from English, and he's not confident in Swahili either. But, well, but and he's, he's also he's doing it to stick it to his Muslim friend <laughs> right, on top. Right. Like the project is exactly. like I'm going to translate it into Swahili, so you can all see how little your, you know, your 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 religious text makes sense because he spends all of his time trading insults with his Muslim right. best friend about whose religion has the more like nonsensical elements, um, right? Which which is a great sort of yes, you know, comedy comedy routine in this in this book are these these people who are close enough to to insult what are considered to be thing you know the most sacred serious you know elements of 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 people's lives, especially in in a lot of like modern discourse. And yet, you know, he he presents these these men joshing around about this stuff. Um, uh, Yeah, it's. it's a really yeah, good book. <laughs> right. Insults are a sort of probably a core part of human humor, particularly in close relationships where these insults are repeated sort of over and over in a way that takes the power out of the the offensive power out of them in some way, but not the, not the humorous power out of them. And this book plays with repetition and really interesting ways as well. I don't know how, I didn't count up how many times we either use either Khalil said, he ain't your uncle or mm. Khalil remembered, uh, Yusuf remembered Khalil saying, he ain't your uncle. But it, this was repeated again and again. When he's introduced, he's Uncle Aziz. But through part of the growing up process is, you know, um, <laughs> he's not your uncle. Right. Um, I mean, that's another character again, without, we don't want to, we don't want to give too much away, but that that's another thing that's interesting is this book does not have a pure villain. It has people who harm each other and, and, and uncle Aziz probably does the most harm of anyone. And yet there are many scenes in which, you know, quality, he's presented as sort of impressive and admirable and fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, at the, at the end also, I mean, like you said, he, for, you know, for example, he does not believe this false accusation against Yusuf. So uh, there, there's just yeah, he's so He's highly much. intelligent. Just... He, he's well versed in, in, mm. his, in his, in the local history. Uh, yeah, no, I, I guess if there are characters who are not fully human, it is, it is the Europeans who he's sort of, we never, exchange words really with any of them other than maybe a handful of words it's not that they're villains they're they're peripheral to to the story well they're at this distance that's almost unnatural and that's one of the right. things that they're strikes you as unnatural about the the colonial project is is that they, they keep themselves at this hostile distance so that so that they're just not understood and they're not communicated with the, the same way as even other exploitative communities but but that are not sort of so 
don't have not this distant, dividing line. Right, right, right. That there's intermarriage, that there, yeah, the, there are many Bantu Arab relationships that, that happen and have offspring, whereas you can't even imagine the Europeans in this novel are a different species. They're aliens. They're, they, there's like insults hurled at them that are not even meant like people say things, Oh, they, you know, they eat metal. They, I don't know, they do create, you know, all sorts of crazy mm. nonsense. And they, that then, then say, Oh, you believe that that's, that's not real. But, but on the other hand, they, they do feel like uh, not gin, but you know, some kind of t- completely other species walking around. Mm. So that it's not that we can't sympathize with them, not because they're villains, but because we don't even know what they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think maybe we can, we can stop there for now. I hope that, uh, I hope that people read the book. I'd love to, maybe, maybe we can talk about it later or maybe listeners can let us know at some point, like what they make of the, of the ending of the, of the whole book. If they read it, I would like to hear what people think. Um, and, uh, and I also think that this, this book, although it's, it's written, uh, in, in English, like it, it fits in the universe of Arabic literature for me. I mean, because that universe is so malleable, like its borders are like linguistic and identity and geographically are not fixed that, that I, that I think this book very much belongs there, um, alongside, alongside other ones we've read and, uh, and, and yeah, the there, there are so many, right. There are so many books that I would love to sort of reread alongside it. Naninja is one of them, Johal Hariri's The Bitter Orange Tree, but also, you know, Tayyip Salah's Season of Migration in the North. Awled uh, Haretna, too, for this sort of, um, for the relationships of power. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting it, in so many different parts of this universe. I think Season of Migration to the North, definitely, um, because there's that transformation of life, of rural life. Um, and there's that, I mean, although it's set, I think later in time and there's these incredibly evocative scenes of the traditional way of life. And then there's this sense of change coming and there's this, I don't know, like there's this kind of like long viewed historical, like gentleness and forgiveness and care for like everyone in, in the story that, that I find very touching. There's something mm-hmm. gentle about this story, which is surprising. Um, right. Yeah. It's it's interesting when um, when Yusuf is recalling the the trip for Khalil, you know, which I, I guess has already been talked about in the town excessively, especially you know, Chatu kept them all there basically as hostages by keeping their things. They couldn't really leave without any of their belongings. Um, but when Yusuf tells it, he tell, talks about, you know, the green light on the mountain and the way the the air is, is washed clean in the morning and how you can, the waterfall is so beautiful and you can hear God's breath. Um, so, yeah, there's um, there are definitely these sort of 
lyrical moments of, of, of elevation alongside moments a, a, yeah. of, of sadness, of great sadness too. I mean, mm. yeah. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there for for this week. Um, please, uh, this is your ever so often reminder. Um, if you like the show, don't forget to share it, to rate it, to subscribe to it, to encourage others to listen to it. I usually forget to say this, but um, <laughs> it is helpful. It is important. It's 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 great for us. Um, for it to be shared online and also for people to rate it if they have something nice to say about it. So um, thank you for doing that. Um, and don't forget also to listen to our book quiz episodes where we ask short questions um, and give short answers and where we have a winner uh, per episode who receives a book in the mail. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, please check them out. It's just a few minutes and uh, I think it's a fun thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't like a free book in the mail? I mean, I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> it's great talking to you as always, Marsha, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. All right. Thank you, Ursula. Bye. Bye. Bye.